0: Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast. This is where we're joined by experts to guide us in helping help the person with the problem. Today, I am joined by Alex Murray. Alex is a podiatrist, a strength and conditioning coach and a clinical educator practicing in Canberra, Australia, currently in lockdown like us here in Wellington, New Zealand. He's also the director of the CPD education business podiatry systems, founder of the making sense and podiatry social media pages and a communication and education partner of the Norwegian research group cause health. Alex, that's a, that's a solid intro, mate.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I was just surprised when you said we joined by experts and I was like, Oh geez. Where, what, so do I saw myself up? I was having a
0: conversation a couple of weeks ago with Victor Ahabendi on the podcast. And I think that's one of the challenges of, of us as health professionals is that we often don't put ourselves in the expert category. But Victor was saying, and he was like, if you could teach eight or nine people out of 10 something new, then you're an expert in that area. I was like, that's, quite a cool definition yeah so i think it like yeah it makes me feel better about myself anyway
1: but it definitely makes me feel better too yeah no, I'm, I'm i'm glad i'm not happy with that i'm just thinking about geez i might be an expert in a lot of really random things but yeah well yeah it's a really niche pub <laughs> topic. <laughs> alex i always like to know
0: why do you care about the human side of healthcare?
1: so well I think the human side and sort of what you're talking about with the art, I'm interested in it because it's science-based, it's, science it's evidence-based. I don't have a big sort of story on you know, a background or an interest in art or, or any sort of creative. I'm not an incredibly creative person. by any stretch, it's really just the fact that that's where the science has led me. When you look at what what does the science tell us about care of musculoskeletal injuries, it tells us that we need to be person-centered. We need to use their goals. We need to engage behavior change. We need to educate people. We need to uh, be really focused on our communication. And all of these skills I would put in the art bucket simply because they're, they're things that you kind of a manual on. You can't have a structured plan. You can't walk in and go, this person has this, this condition. Therefore I need to say this this to this this order, I need to give them this command, I need to sort of figure it all out. It's all skills and things that you need to really learn. It have a lot of intuition, gut feel. They can sort of be taught to an extent, but it's really they must be experienced and felt, reflected on and built slowly. And that's what we really, really need in clinical practice. that's what we're, we're moving away from. We've got huge amounts of studies showing that we, we have lost as allied health and physicians, our ability to communicate uh, effectively. There's no real focus on the university. We're specializing more. And they're all things that are leading us to really not as nowhere near as good outcomes. So yeah, the reason why I'm interested in the human side, the reason why I'm interested in the art side of of clinical practice is it's science based, it's evidence based, and I think there's a lot. The one thing that I would say that I don't like about it though. Is just the the connotation when people say art, because to me art is exactly what I just explained. It's things that we, we we can't we don't have that manual for a structured plan. You can't just teach it. You know, two plus two equals four. Great, I can now take that and apply that. It's it's a bit more guttural. But some people definitely use it bastardize the term because they look at it as. I can kind of just do whatever I want and call it an art for people get better. I don't have to worry about why people get better. And I can just say, oh, it's an art and that that's great. I, I see it a lot of people essentially just trying to justify non-evidence based and non-science based ways of, of treating people. So that would be my only why I'm into it, but also my only gripe with it is that we're, we're talking about, you know, real skills of things that are really important. Things that are evidence-based, and we shouldn't let it be flipped. Hmm. Definitely, I, I guess to use them to use a metaphor.
0: It's not a it's not a sort of a join the dots kind of picture that we're drawing, but we do have we do have frames of reference, and we do have techniques that we can utilise from a communication perspective. Like if we if you're thinking about them like brush strokes, like. Mm. People that are artists go and learn the different brushstrokes, and they they're painting this specific type of picture. It's not just well, actually, some some artists just throwing paint at a. Kid. <laughs> but there's a canvas there to catch that, so there is there is some frame around it. I guess the, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the bastardization of of the word art in healthcare because we we were going back and forth a little bit about that messaging. But when we were teeing up this chat, I had a little bit of a reaction to it. Initially, I'll, I'll, let you know. I was like, oh, shit, this guy's, this guy's calling me out here. <laughs> um, I
1: am very careful.
0: I didn't want to. I no, it, was, my- it was good. It was good. It, and I think that's an important part of, of any type of practices that we, we have constructive conversations around our beliefs because we can get really dogmatic in them. And it was, it, it was really good. Uh, and then we kind of, we kept the conversation going constructively and probably i think both ended up on the on the same page with it at the end or or, or close to but i was I, I was fascinated like could you could you give us an example of of something that you had seen bastardizing the art side of healthcare
1: oh 100% where, where where do we start i mean when you look at the when you just go on twitter and you look at anyone talking about Foot orthotics, not that unfortunately, dietrists, and this has been shown in, in studies, they aren't on Twitter that much. But if you, but you find some debates, Twitter is always a good place to go. And you see people talk about why they do do certain modifications, do certain orthotics, anyone who talks about an orthotic paper that, that is showing that they're not effective, everyone's like, oh, it's because it's an art form. It's not a science yet. The science is, you know, they, they're not doing it how we do it. You know, it's, it's all very different and. Really, it's, it's, it's just ignoring the fact that there's evidence to show that orthonics aren't, aren't magic, that they, they, they can be helpful, but we're not sure who they're helpful for, why exactly they're helpful and, and picking it. When we don't have a lot of this evidence, there's very little evidence in, in orthonic therapy, this is of you know, put in shoes of well, many different descriptions, who exactly is going to benefit from them? All the studies have been, uh, do they work? And the answer has always been, yeah, a bit. And there's no in no, that no delineation. So trying to sort of pick who will get better is from them in an evidence based way is, is really difficult. That's an art. Talking with someone, working through what are the pros, what are the cons, what do we know from that little bit of evidence. But the other side of it, more that bastardised size, is when someone just kind of goes, so that person has heel pain. And I know orthotics works I've seen it work over and over and over again, but orthotic designs just aren't, uh, and if you're not if your patients aren't getting better, then you're just not very good at it and that's that's sort of the new discussion and we see that as well in manual therapy debates and things where people just kind of go uh, like it's it's an artful if you're just not very good at at, at handling that, that patient and moving them through that process
0: mm. thank you for thanks for clearing that up. I think it's yeah, it's interesting I mean, what is a Twitter a horrible place. There's some good stuff on there, but like it was it, when you when you start to get into the, some of the comments, it's it's pretty tragic at times. And actually, I haven't I haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, but I actually failed third form art. So here in New Zealand, I don't know how I managed that because I think that passed everyone, but I, somehow I failed. my My fish drawings were obviously not up to not up to scratch. <laughs> but I think it, it, it's really interesting with these, with these tools that we have, whether it be some manual therapy in, in, in physio or making orthotics in podiatry as well. And these are tools and these are effective sometimes for certain people at certain parts of their recovery. But yeah, to make those sweeping statements that this is good for everyone with this problem. It's a,
1: it's a hard biscuit to bite, eh? I think they're one. I, I think what I'm, what I'm sort of, uh, uh, for little, I'm thinking about it now just for what you said. It's kind of the difference when, when I sort of say, are it's it's who is this helpful for? Why is it helpful? How do I pick? How do I communicate with this person through and, and to figure it all out? Where some people look at it as an art of exactly that it is, it's helpful for everyone. And therefore the art is making it helpful for everyone sort of molding it to, to fit. And so I, I guess I agree more with the, with the, the first one than, than with the, with the latter. And that's where, where the science is sort of bearing, bearing out.
0: Yeah. So it's almost the it's the kind of the, when to use the specific tool, as opposed to how well you use that tool at the time.
1: I think I'd say it's the it's when you use the tool, how you use that tool, where it fits, and and how it's useful, rather than how you mould that tool to be useful for everyone possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't want to just bang stuff with a hammer all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's certain
0: points in time it's great, and I think that's a that's a nice segue actually into. Incorporating our understanding of non meaning effects in clinical practice, because there's a little bit of, well, actually there's a lot of that, that, that goes on around mm. the application of some of these tools as well. I guess, first of all, can you, can you define what we're talking about here in terms of a, a non-specific effect or a meaning effect?
1: Yeah. So well, we can start with what a specific effect is because a non-specific effect is essentially everything that's not a specific effect. So a specific effect, if I, if I take a treatment, let's say I take an, orth- an orthotic and I stick it in someone's, the specific effect of that orthotic is, some, is the effect of that orthotic that can only be attributed to that specific orthotic and that specific shoe at that specific time. So that would be the mechanical changes that it makes all of the, the things that occur, the non-specific effects, everything else around it that can generally be produced by something else. So we look at that as being the confidence that someone has now that they have something in the shoe. So the specific effect will, will change the mechanics, but someone will then take that that response, a change in mechanics, and then produce a response that is, I feel more confident, I feel more balanced, I feel less pain in them. When we have less pain in that tissue, what does that happen to the rest of their their system? So the really get yeah, the non-specific effects and everything that's not produced by the specific effect and really it can be produced by many different means. So you can take another orthotic with another design that has a different specific effect and you can still derive those effects from it. The, the thing that I would say is that you can't separate the two. So we can look at specific effects and we look at non-specific effects and it's really uh, easy to dichotomize them and say, oh, that's a non-specific effect. And just because it can be produced by another means doesn't mean, mean that it's useless. A, a lot of non-specific effects will uh, and, and will come out of uh, a specific effect because it has that specific effect has a specific impact and a meaning that goes beyond what happens. So you change someone's the way that their plantar fascial loads and therefore that reduces their pain. And that that reduction in pain will produce a whole series of non-specific effects, we also can call them meaning effects because they often come from the meaning that is ascribed to them. So, non-specific effects can be both positive, so you know, commonly like something like a placebo effect. Although I don't like that that word because it implies it's a trick when really there is actual real change. And there's a bunch of called cool, so placebo/nocebo studies to back this up. But then it can also be quite negative. What does that meaning have? So. I put an orthotic in, it helps, they take the orthotic out, their pain immediately comes back, their meaning could be that I'm damaged and that this orthotic is fixing something in my tissue, therefore, you know, when I'm without it, I can't go without it at any point, where someone is probably more clued in on neurosciences, pain uh, sciences, would understand that, you know, in, in most cases, the tissue is irritated and... That the orthotic is helping reduce irritation, but there's nothing damaging about experiencing some level of pain and being outside of that orthotic. It's just a useful tool that you can use to potentially do more at a specific time, in a specific activity, in a specific sugar. If that sort of just gives a, a very brief sort of overview. It does. It does. Thank you for that. And I guess
0: probably the, the lead on from that then is how can we use these non-specific or meaning effects to our advantage in helping patients out?
1: Well, I think it's it's we number one would be focusing on them more when we well, we know whenever we give a treatment, there's going to be specific and non-specific effects. And we focus in our education, in our training, and everything that we do, all the focus is on how do we enhance that specific effect? How do we get it perfectly right? Um, and that often comes from just the, the basic sort of idea that if you get the specific effect right, then everything will be fine. It's the biomedical model. Well, when we look at non-specific effects, it's really about everything else that surrounds that treatment. And so when we know, again, from studies that what do patients want? Patients want to know about their condition. They want to uh, understand how they can keep uh, going, can keep moving around their injury. They want to know how long it takes. That there's all of these sort of things that, and we can go, well, great. That's, that's where the non-specific effects live, that we can give them a treatment, we can focus on all those other things that they want and focus on really on when it comes down to meaning effects, what, what these effects will mean to that patient. And when we get that understanding, it's really, we see that there's a focus on focusing on them them as a human being, focusing on their goals and focusing on what, what Everything means to them. What does their pain mean to them? What does their condition mean to them? What do their limit- current limitations or disabilities because of this injury mean to them? And essentially we can start to when we start to ask questions around that, when we start to try and understand them where they are, their position, the, the the meaning that this all has for them, we can start to help unpack it. We can help to help them start to make sensible of about. Of we can help give them education and essentially look at going, well, here's this orthotic. But you think you're damaged, how can I essentially lead you on this journey that helps you realize that it's not damaged, that you are capable, we can keep you moving, we can, you don't have to wear that orthotic all the time. You're not stuck in this prison cell of not being able to move for ages. And how can we how can we go about that? For some people, it's just conversations. For other people, it's a bit of a journey over a period of time. For some people, it's, you know, what I do a lot, you know, my strength and conditioning coach background. Sort of comes out is i do a lot of it in where we go out to the gym and we you know do exercises and movements half of my my examination is just in the gym getting people to recreate movements that they do that cause them pain that don't cause them pain roll around on the ground what activities do you like to do you like to garden great show me you know here's a sack pick it up like it like it's bit of manure or pick this weight up like it's this and we get to see and then we reflect on that experience. What does that mean to you? How how does this change now that we've reflected on this, or I've given you this bit of education? How does that change? And that's really more non-specific effects because yeah, we know they're lifting that that bag up, they're lifting that weight, they're they're moving in this way. What that uh, does specifically, and we're going to put specific interventions in place. But I'm mostly interested in their reactions, in what all of that means to them, and how we can sort of take them from this point of being, you know, in this injured state or, or, and and that both as a physical, you know, tissue state, as well as a mindset, you know, I ended up injured and in, in that identity and how can we lead them on a journey that, that, that identity potentially has less impact and they can sort of move on a journey to, towards more, more just health or being healthy or that, that sort of identity, or at least then if they're going to be in that state where they're going to have something more persistent, uh, more ongoing. That they have the resilience to not um, fall down or what are the, the, the challenges that they come with it. Mm. Yeah, so they can
0: continue to navigate through that if they if they do end up with a persistent problem. That was beautiful, mate. Well, well said. I think the something that was coming up for me there that like there was there was really good. I'd love to hear some examples from you about how you go about it with patients. Probably. If you're doing a lot, of, uh, a lot of assessment out in the gym, you're going to have some patients that are quite fearful coming in to see you. It's like, how do you frame that going out to do that assessment when someone's coming in, they're sore, they're worried about going out and doing more damage? Like, how, do you, how do you set them up to the point where they're okay to go and do that? And then I'd also love to hear some examples of the questions that you ask to create that reflection, reflection space.
1: Post them doing an activity. Yeah, so I guess when I say out down to the the gym, I, I should be honest and say that that we we have quite a small gym, but a good chunk of it is just grass, like artificial turf. Got a rock climbing wall or a bouldering wall. I should say it's it's really quite small, and we've just got a bunch of little weights, little things all over the place. We do have a big we do have a big squat rack and a, and a weightlifting platform and things, but yeah, most of the gym is just a space that we could utilise to move. So. It's a little bit less threatening immediately because he, you know, especially older clients, they come in and I go, let's just head out to the the track, you know, let's just head out to the gym. And they go in, they go, oh, and I go, oh, don't worry, we're not going to touch that. That's that's not you. That, yeah, that's and so immediately people feel more comfortable. Sometimes I don't have to introduce it. I get the feeling that they that they're going to be okay, or when we go to the gym, I don't want it to seem like it's a big issue. Now we're going to go into a gym and we're going and don't, do look at me. No, we're not going to do anything heavy or anything. It's like, no, let's just head out. We'll look at your moves. We'll do a few tests. We'll see you walk. Don't worry about the squat rack. Don't worry about the heavy weights. We're not touching those. We're just here to see you move on this bit of grass. Some people are, you know, I'll, I'll talk beforehand often at the start of a consultation I say often every time at start of the consultation, I set patient expectations. So no one's sitting there wondering, geez, we're having this long conversation. When are we going to get to the, the actual therapy stuff? I, I sort of set it up and I sort of say, We'll do this. You know, we're going to start with a chat. I'm going to have a look at you on the table. Uh, we're going to head out to the gym. We're going to look at you move and we're going to see how you go moving. So I'm already framing it in a movement experiment kind of thing. It's not a case of we're going to be lifting weights um, or we're going to be exercising. I just want to see how you move and how you, you, you do different tasks. And then we're going to come back and we're going to have a chat and we're going to make sense of it all. So that's sort of how. I go about it. There are some people that every now and then you will get someone that's, that's quite afraid. And I really just find that setting the expectations of what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, why is it going to be helpful is, is always just the thing that, that, that happens. And if someone is afraid, if someone is quite fearful, you generally can pick them straight away just by their condition. their their the way they explain them, asking questions about, what activities they do, how they move, the impact their injury has. So you can pick them a mile away. And generally what you're going to do with them when you go out to the gym, is just very, very light things anyway, because you're always picking that person. So there's never really should be a time that when you explain it all, someone should be worried because if someone's worried and you've explained what you're going to do, these movements experiments with them, that's your answer already. (laughs) You don't need to do the experiment. You don't need to push them in that, that way to get that response and understanding. And then it changes from a, how do you move to what do you mind if we, you know, I've examined you now, I think, you know, there's, we, you know, the things are really sensitive and irritated, but they're not damaged. Can we see what you can accomplish? Can we see what you can do, where we can sort of push you, where you feel comfortable going to in, in the gym space or with some movements? So that's how I usually get, a, get around that. If you're ever pushing someone, they, they're not comfortable, then yeah, that's, that's you, you're already on the, roll, on the roll. That was question one.
0: That yeah, was well, question one. And I, I really like the, the way that you frame that up as well. And you use a whole lot of non-threatening language around it as well and, and normalize, normalize the movement, which is, which is fantastic. And I think the point that you make as well about having people be comfortable with with what they're doing even if it's the edge of what they're comfortable with is is really great so i'm just thinking of a patient that i had uh, a couple of weeks ago is i got him doing a few movements and he could do them and he could go right through them and he was okay i was like how did that feel he's like yeah i could do it but it didn't feel like there was something wrong about it mm. I was like, okay, we're, we're just going to leave that one for the time being. Like it didn't create more pain, but I was like, I just uh, don't, don't
1: worry about that one for, for the next couple of weeks. We'll come back to it. Yeah. And, and, and if you, I remember the second question now is how, you know, what kind of questions do I ask to sort of bring about reflections? And that's one of them. How does that feel? You know, when we create an environment that's already, I think it's safe. I do I've looked at you, I think it's, it, you know, you're quite safe to do some of these movements. Do we do want we going out to the gym, see how they go and, and go from there and immediately putting them in a different environment where they come in. So there already is a non-specific effect. You're already of me saying, I think this is safe. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to do yourself more damage. How about we give, give these movements a go and we're creating a new environment for that person, and then experiencing these movements differently. And, and most of the time people go, oh yeah, yeah, no, that, that was okay. Oh yeah, I I could move. And it was a bit sore here, but it wasn't sore all the bits leading up to it. So they might find a, a certain part of their, their squat or a certain part of the, their heel raise is sore, but there's a huge range of movement that they, they can experience that's not. So it's, it's sort of, yeah, that, that non-specific effect of bringing them into the gym. But I find most of the time anyway, unless you're dealing with, someone with a, with a of red flag condition, which you should pick up before you, they're out in the gym, well, you shouldn't be, you know, essentially trying to confirm that with your testing. So you're choosing the right testing. Most of the time people come in and be like, "Is really sore to do a lot of different things and they generalize and that's just because what pain does, that's, that's a human trait, it's fine. And what I'm getting them to do is these experiments and things to essentially really then think about when is it sore, how much is it sore, how limiting is it, how much can you move? So those are sort of, uh, and I essentially leap through, so how does that feel? Okay, did you notice that you, know, you were only saying that it was sore when you got right at the top? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, can, we can utilize that range of motion you know, to do that exercise before it gets sore, right? Yeah. And you can sort of lead that conversation down those sort of points to, to focus on what they can achieve. I guess that's probably the peak focus. What can you achieve and what can I capitalize on here rather than focusing on a deficit? And that's a real, that's something that I really picked up in strength and conditioning, which is really that, and, and as much as it can be seen as sort of a macho sort of sometimes pseudoscience, the real core principles of it is really finding what people can do and get them better at it and, and then slowly build and get them to adapt to a point where they can achieve the things that they want to achieve. There's nothing really that's benefited from by focusing on what they can't do. So that's sort of how I approach my questioning. I wouldn't say that there's any specific phrases that I used before. How does that feel? You know, do, do you feel comfortable with that? Do you feel confident with that? Is this something that, that you would you would do outside of the gym? Besides those starting questions from there, it's really just focusing on highlighting what they can do, not what they can't.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really, really important point that you make with it as well as when you're starting to explore that stuff. It is that it is that focus on the positive is like, actually you did really, really well with that test. There was a bit that was a little bit effy, but you achieved 90% of it, uh, which is fantastic. And just kind of going over that with the person in the moment as well, actually gives them a little bit more confidence to potentially go and do a little
1: bit more on the next test or go and do a little bit more when they when they leave you. So we, with that point there, exactly, we're giving them information and it's not just information we're educated. By the way, your condition, you know, is mint X. It's I've looked at you on the, I, I, I've listened to you. Uh, I've understood what you've had to say. We've gone through a process of communication. I've reflected back your experience. We've talked through it all. We understand each other. I've looked at your can you, you physically now and then I've watched you move. And this is the, and I can tell you that you're actually doing really well, that, that this is about what I would expect for someone in your, in your position. And this is the prognosis and this is what's happening. And the impact of that information can completely change how they interpret their pain, how they interpret their situation. We, we assume patients come in as a blank canvas and that we're there and whatever we say is, is what's, is what they're going to take away. But really, they've come in with their own ideas, expectations, interpretations, a common sense model of pain I always refer to because it goes through a process of interpretation, taking into the information they have available and their emotional response. They take an action and they appraise. So they've already been going through this cycle and decided to come and see us because they go, well, this isn't getting any better. And what I'm doing isn't helping and I'm very worried. And so just having this new information where I think, you know, this is where you're at. This is how... The, I think you know you aren't you know you aren't a tricky case. You are about where we would expect. You are a positive pathway. There are all these good things that you can do. That's a potent, non-specific effect because we can derive that effect from many different means, many different ways of communicating. You know, but it's it's something that will have a real tangible benefit of how everything else that's that's interrelated to it. Yeah, and I think that's
0: uh, it's a little bit challenging actually to perform that approach sometimes because that is not the way that we're trained as health professionals we're trained to look for deficits we're trained to pick out the minute uh deficit the the pelvic tilt or the different angle of the arch or the blood markers that are slightly abnormal and we're looking for that and we're with looking for problems we're trained to address those problems and focus really specifically on those problems as opposed to all of the good stuff and all of the positivity around it. And I think that sometimes leads us down a road of inadvertently creating nocebo effects for this person as well. I'm interested in your thoughts around maybe untraining our deficit focus mentality as health p- mm. professionals to to more uh, a focus on sort of positivism.
1: Yeah, well, I think it it then comes back to science. So a big sort of uh, turning point for me in changing that focus is a focus on what we call complex systems theory, or, or it's or what was previously known as chaos theory. It was making sense of, of this apparent chaos, and what it tells us. Really, it is a basic sort of sense: is that everything is inter- interdependent, everything is interrelated. That if we change one thing, it is going to impact many others, and that if everything is so interconnected, it's really, really hard to have this focus of this is the one deficit and this is what needs to be changed to, to this to 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 improve. So, we human beings are complex systems. Plants are complex systems. Gardens are complex systems. And just, there's all these sort of things that are interworking. And so when, and the the big thing as well is that they're adaptable and the impact is very different. So we can take two humans. I mean, look at the the COVID outbreak. We can see, you know, some people, very similar virus, very similar sort of situations, very similar people. Some people get a lot more sick uh, than others. Some people um, end up with long COVID, other people don't. Uh, some people have a big, bigger effect through a vaccine. Some people have less. And it's because re- realistically, we can never look at that as a, there's a one deficit. It's all these different things working together that we can't completely understand that are all interrelated. And in one day we might understand them, but at the moment we don't. And really it's then focusing on if we can't label something a deficit purely because it's it's there's nothing really that can be defined as a, as a pure deficit in most cases. There are some times if someone has one leg that's two centimeters shorter than another, that that we can look at and say, well, that's a difference. That's probably beyond what the body can adapt to. But as you know, half a centimeter, it's the, the, the system is then, or the body is able to adapt to that. It's able to work together. Every Everything is able to change, to modify, and so you can still keep walking. And certain muscles will change. You will get stronger, potentially more flexible and move around it. The body pattern will change, but you can adapt to that. So when you sort of switch this focus from, I'm looking for a, what is wrong, What is a deficit? And I'm trying to fix that. You focus on, well, here is a body as a system and the system is constantly adapting this. Everything's interrelated and there can be hundreds and thousands of different things that I can point out as things that I can change, things that I can modify and Really the approach of biotherapy is to identify all those things. I'm still looking from a deficit focus. I'm still, you know, what, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of what can be changed. What can I influence? And then I'm going to provide a therapy, which could be exercises. It could be a orthotic. It could be a more manner of different things. And I'm essentially challenging that system to adapt. Or I am providing something that then will change how those things work and then see an impact. So I'm providing an orthotic not to fix someone's foot posture. I'm providing an orthotic to change their posture. And I want to see the impact that that has on them and how they then adapt to that. And hopefully it's a positive adaptation. And then we can go from there. So it's it's also a lot less structured, but also a lot more free, because I don't have to have the right answers. I'm not focusing on the right answers. Because we know, science tell us we don't we, we don't have it. You know, what's the most effective treatment for NeoA? Is it a high impact exercise programme or is it low impact? Well, there's no difference. We're inclined to say, well, the low impact one must be a better one because it has theoretical less risk. But what happens if someone wants to do high impact activity? And so and you're not you're not giving them the high impact activity to prepare for them? Well then we start to realise that the right wrong is 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 contextual. And that's the same thing because it's it's not just whether one exercise program is right or one exercise program, it's wrong. It's what, what are they doing outside of that? There's these interdependent factors we have to consider. So yeah, it is sort of switching that focus and that's how I practice. That's how I look at it. And so I think it is about shifting that focus from what, what can I fix to, what can I change? And then what impact does that have? And then each time you see the patient, you can see the impact, you can see their body uh, and, and for what they report, they've adapted. Has it been positive? Has it been ne- negative? And then we go, this is great. This is more information. Because if I find someone is not responding to orthotic or not responding to an exercise or it's making things better or worse, I can use that information in my understanding of specific effects to say, well, let's modify that. Let's change that. That exercise is too painful for you. That's fine. Let's modify the intensity. Let's modify how many times you're doing that rep, how many repetitions, or well, let's just change the weight. Let's change the exercise completely. What what is that response that you've had? So that's is the quickest way I could possibly put it. That's how I I I see we can shift, and that's been sort of a big focus. All of my courses, education, always generally come with a starting introduction on complexity because I think it's as soon as we get understand that. It solves most of the other problems.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of ruling out the nasty shit. So the, the red flag stuff that you need to just kick on straight away. And then it's, it's understanding that the body is a really complex system and there are a lot of different levers that you can pull and having, having an experiment and pulling a couple to try and elicit a positive health change for that person.
1: Yep, it's have, have you have you been watching some of my, my lectures on this? Because that's like that's one hundred percent how I am put.
0: No, I haven't actually. I just just listen to you then. I just enjoy
1: listening to you, mate. I said livers, and I'm like, I don't. I, that that's exactly how I'd explain it I don't think I said livers this, this time. This you this didn't. Time. You didn't actually, <laughs> uh, Alex.
0: Playing devil's advocate a little bit, kind of off the back of that answer, health professionals with we've kind of set ourselves up to appear infallible over time, so that we need to be right. And that's how we've we've positioned ourselves to the public. How do we become comfortable with getting into this I don't know space? So with like the complex adaptive systems, there's a lot of I don't know or maybe I don't know, it's not the right word. There's a I'm not sure. Mm. That's really that's probably quite terrifying for People who are health practitioners who should be infallible to step into that space and kind of open themselves up and be vulnerable in that position. It's easier to say, This orthotic works, do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I- exactly. And I think a lot of it, it comes down, there's a couple of things. It comes down to the fact that we don't have a lot of skills when it comes to the art sort of side of things, you know, they're just not taught. So communication is, is probably the biggest one. And when we're not, Really good at being uncomfortable with uncertainty. So again, it comes down to universities. They love grades. You know, you got the answer right, or you got the answer wrong. Critical thinking processes. You know, going through all, mapping out. Well, what is the you know thinking one in terms of probability? These are all skills that we lack, and when we lack those, we 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 like to focus then on on the specifics, on the, the you know. I'm going to get things right. I'm going to really go into this minutia on the biomedical model. So I think the thing that I would say that it's not about, I don't know from the perspective of just sort of giving up or like saying that you're completely incompetent. Uh, I think if we have a conversation and the conversation I have with patients is I say, look, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. And I think this is a conversation, that I, I haven't had a conversation with a patient that's come out of hospital recently that hasn't said, oh, they really weren't sure for a period of time. And they 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 did a whole bunch of tests and they were telling me how we were going to figure it out. And that's the same process we can use. I mean, people experience it every day at the doctor, at the hospital. So we can really just lay out and say, this is what we know. This is what we don't exactly know. And here, and the key step is, is, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to figure it out. Here's the plan of attack. And I think if you are just saying to your patients, here's what I don't know, let's give this a crack. They're not going to, not going to be very enthusiastic. And I think that's where most people go wrong. Where if you just say, look, this is a condition, plan of us pain, let's take that as example. This is a condition that for some people can last a really long time. And we're not sure why. But we are sure that these things can impact it and for different people, Different amount. So it can be their weights, it can be the exercise that they're doing, it can be footwear, it can be lots of different factors. And we can lay out the ones I think is important to them. And we can say, well, so these are the things that that we can focus on changing. And then, you know, we might change some and they might have no impact. We might change some and they might have a huge impact. That's part of the process of figuring it out. What makes the most sense to you that we start with a change? What, what makes sense to you to change now or that we start? What makes sense to you that we maybe you don't think is as important or is as achievable a change? And let's just start there and let's see where we go. Let's see what your response is. And then we should get a much better idea of, of, of what's, what's going to help you. And the question I often get is, what happens if I don't, if I don't get better? And we go, well, that's. That's fine. That, that is expected for some people. Not everyone, and we know this from the sides, will get better within a short period of time. And that can be a time factor. It could be because we're not adjusting, calling the right leaders. And so if you're coming in and your response from what I give you today, you tell me certain things uh, about how you went. I'll have the information then to be able to pose a different set of questions and a different set of options to you about where we go. If, if they're in a, paci- a situation, let's say again, with a plantar hill pain, where they've had it already for a long period of time and they're potentially showing um, signs that, oh, I'm a bit concerned the fascia might be physically tall and they might need some time in the boot, I might provide an option. Then I say, one of those options will be that we get an ultrasound for you. And that might lead down a, a different, different path. And usually by that point, people are actually happier. Happier than if I just said, here's what we're going to do. Because I've explained it to them, the whole four process. I've involved them in a shared decision-making process by asking them what makes sense to them. Here's, here's the, the, the tools that we have. Which one do you want to start with? And we've explained the reasoning behind it. And if things don't go right, they're already prepared. There's an expectation that it might not go Right, and we explain to them, it's not because things are broken. It's just because we know this from the science, in the same way that people go to the GP and they have a rheumatological condition. And no one's pissed off because their GP doesn't pick, or the rheumatologist doesn't pick the right drug at the start. The, they explain to them, well, we don't know what drug you're going to respond to. but well, here's our laddered approach, our scalable approach that we have. So we're not just throwing you on a $10,000 biological medication. We're going to start with the basics. And then we're going to slowly increase or decrease or change the drugs in a way that then um, makes sense that we have the less impact on you. But then we start to figure out what works and then we take it from there. So I I don't think this is revolutionary. I think it's just looking at how other people do stuff. And we went, crap. I went, well, why aren't we doing this? Yeah, very true. And I think some
0: people are pissed off and they come and see me and they uh, they tell me that... uh, the doctor didn't know what was going on, but I, I have a feeling that that was probably because they weren't communicated to, as you've just laid out there. And I think like a couple of things that I, that I thought were really powerful and the stuff that you said was asking the patient, okay, what is, what's going to work for you at the moment to change first? And I think working on it that way around, you're going to have so much more success from that patient taking ownership and then implementing those changes as opposed to if you were to try and dictate those changes to someone without fully understanding the context of their situation, which is, yeah, obviously there's no point of us giving advice if someone's not going to do it. So I think that it automatically swings things in your, in your favor there. And then I think another thing that was, was really helpful in terms of making that patient feel a little bit safer, especially if there, there is that uncertainty about, okay, we're not handy on how this is going to play out, but here's the stuff that we're going to work through is having that, that backup plan there as well. And the example that you used was the ultrasound and the, to, to check for a structural deficit and in the boots, a lot of patients that I work with have back pain and we know that the vast, vast, vast majority of back pain just gets better. By itself and sometimes we're just entertaining a person while it does but for some people at a certain point in time i'm like la- i was lucky enough to work with a whole lot of back specialists that didn't just love cutting people open and and sometimes when s- i'd send people to go and see them and they would give them some reassurance and say yeah go back and see Chris, and just keep working with it and it's just going to take a little bit longer But actually having that there as a backup plan is, okay, this is, this is the referral that I would make if things aren't kind of happening as, as we progress. One gives the person a little bit more, more of a feeling of safety and also a little bit more confidence in you as well, is that, okay, if things don't go the way that we expect, this guy's got this. Mm.
1: Exactly. It's, It's, again, it's setting the expectations of where, where, where we're going to go and why. And when people are sort of talked through that that process, it makes a lot of sense. But I think I, the thing that I, I would I would sort of say as well is that the change also takes time. I mean, a lot of people come in pissed off, upset, impacted by their injury. And I think the thing that we always look at is it's time. Uh, when we look at, I know Lee Sales wrote a book. I think it's, I can't remember the title now, Any Ordinary Day or something along that line. And she was interviewing people that went through some of these biggest tragedies in that they possibly can, deaths of relatives, family members, you know, things that just impacted them and kept going on and on and on and and seemed insurmountable. And really the the common theme she found throughout all of it was it was time. It just took time and that that we're helping people be in that moment, you know, and suffer and giving them the tools, the ability, the reassurance of things that just give them time. And the moment, you know, the most recent example I can think of with a patient is I had a patient come in with me to see me and was just like, I, I have to move. I have to keep moving. And she had like a, a 14 millimeter symptomatic tear in her plant fracture. And we were like, you need to be in a boot. We tried everything to keep her moving and, and it just wasn't getting any better. And we put her in a boot and she was just so upset because her whole life was crumbling around her because she was always active always moving, always doing things. And she was like, sitting down in a chair is just the the idea of torture to me. And she'd ever really, essentially ever faced an injury in her life that had stopped her from, from doing things. And so she was just acting out this just constant sort of behavior and this constant sort of pattern that she'd done her entire life of just, you know, barreling through any challenge and it wasn't effective. And she was sort of lost and in sort of a state of a bit of grief and shock. And really, all we was, all I was doing the whole time was just trying to, you know, reassure her, trying to adjust what she was doing, get her doing the most that she can. Anyway, it's now about been about seven months. And she came back to me the other day and she was like, you know what? This whole lockdown thing's uh, doing great for me. She's like, I can go and garden now and then I can go home and I can sit down for like three hours, do a bit of reading. I can relax. Maybe, maybe it's time for me to retire. And I'm sitting there going, like, Lady, we went through, you gave me hell at the start of this about not being able to do everything, that sitting in a chair for like more than 30 minutes was just your idea of torture to this sudden change. And, you know, now you're just like, geez, I should retire because I had more time to sit down and read and relax. I don't need to be doing anything all the time. And so I think there's, there's something there. And... Uh, Again, this sort of really speaks to the art of things is that we don't know when that change is going to happen. Science doesn't tell us down to the minutiae. And some of it is really just being able to, with that experience, get some gut feel and just go, I think we need to give this some time. I think I can leave this person in the state that they're currently in of a bit distressed, of a bit, you know, going through some grief and potentially some loss of part of their identity or their coping mechanism. Give them some of these tools and just let that sit with them and they'll have the ability to, for that to sort itself out. I think that's that's part of the art is when you get that gut feel and you've had that experience to go, yeah, I think that's good. Or some people you go, I just get this feeling and I go, these people are not going to go well by themselves. We need to do more. And, and that might not always be the referral for an ultrasound. It might be, you know, figuring out their support network. It might be having a chat to their, their GP and just going, heads up, you know, this person's in real struggle down, you know, add to these reasons. And, you know, I think they're going to need more support as their GP that knows them, you know, better, what are your thoughts? So that's sort of, that's my experience at least. Mm. And Alex, right, there's, there's, there
0: was so much on that as well, that we can just continue talking about, but I think let's, let's rein it in for, for this one today. We've talked about a lot of stuff already. What, what should people do tomorrow in their clinical practice By stop the back of the conversation that we've had today?
1: Well, number one, I think, would be don't expect a big change overnight. I've, I've been working on this since. I had, I had by a big sort of change April 2018 when I did an explain pain course with the Neu Group, and it's been a very slow, gradual improvement. So number one, don't expect big change overnight. Uh, But two, I think it's, it's, there's so much that we know uh, already that's incredibly helpful. The big issue that we always have is, is the biomedical focus and this, the way that we're sort of taught, so to use that lens. And so a lot of it is just about shifting our focus, shifting the way that we understand the information that we do. So that is moving from that right, wrong framework to how we can change framework, focusing more on the positives. What what can a patient do rather than what they can't do? Obviously still maintain those skills, red flags, ruling all the nasties out, not missing things, still providing specific treatments but just focusing more on what can we do around them to make sure that it has the most positive benefit. And there's not really a specific thing that I can say besides shifting that focus and viewing all the information that you have Already your experience and and view it through a different lens, specifically because and this is the art of it all. Is that it's it's very individual. The phrases that I use, the way that I interact with patients, is based on the fact that I have uh, a very dry, esoteric sense of humour. I've I've got a very sort of odd exercise background. I've got you know all these sorts of things that make me uniquely me, and works for me and what I feel comfortable with. That's what I enhance. That's why I build on my strengths. And that if you are someone in clinic who's trying to copy me and exactly what I do, take influence, but don't try and carbon copy me because you don't know all the weird shit that goes on in my head that makes that yeah, seem to be. Yeah. Make, make those changes and find something small. So thinking about, okay, I'm going to try that movement experiment, or I'm going to try setting expectations for appointment, or I'm going to try this different phrasing or this different approach to how we are going to come i going to explain at the end uh, uh, of the consult what the options are explain what we don't know and then try to share decision making try try pick one of those things and just try it fail at it uh, uh, and then reflect on what went right what went wrong and then slowly work on that and then try the next piece and then try the next piece don't ever try to build uh, a house on a poor foundation or focus all your you know, I'm trying to get everything right, rather than going. What if I just renovate the bathroom first, get that schmick, and then I don't have to worry about that leaking pipe when I'm trying to fix the kitchen. Nice, right? Nice, nice,
0: Alex. People, people have been loving your all the weird shit that you've been talking about today, and they want to find out more about what the stuff that you do. Where's the place for them to go to do that?
1: Yeah, so I, I have a, a couple of different social media pages, and so making sense of podiatry. Is sort of my personal uh, website blog with not a lot of writing as I as I as I thought I would. I'm too perfectionist to release most of it. But on the social media pages, so Instagram and Facebook, you see a lot of infographics, little videos, that sort of thing. And the other th- the other place to find me is Podiatry Systems, and so PodiatrySystems.com.au or Podiatry Systems on Instagram again or in Facebook, where I will I'm offering because I've got courses. So I've got a, a communication course which is just actually fortuitously being completed and uploaded and done and dusted today i've got a i have a pain course but i'm going to be redoing i'm redoing that pain course to try and integrate more communication the next couple of months i have a course on on pain so if anyone's interested in that sort of that the other side of things more of that specific stuff i was talking about with the pain sciences that'll be there too but then i also do a regular free research review so we're reviewing a paper every one or two weeks uh, we've got a whole bunch of courses with on evidence-based practice. So that's with my collaboration with Cause Health, where we talk a lot more about complex and, and what that means in clinical practice. So I've got a fantastic chat with uh, Jack Chu, a physiotherapist from the UK on that. So if you liked, how do I apply that complexity? How do I understand it more? 100% jump on that. And I've also got some stuff on evidence-based medicine as well, free, that you can sign up, view, and that's all available on, on the website, podiatrysystems.com.au. Cool. And there'll be a link for that in the, in the notes for the show as well. Alex, thanks so much
0: for joining me this evening, mate. It's been great to have a, have a conversation and potentially the first of a couple, because I think I've made a whole lot of notes of other stuff that we can talk about already.
1: hundred yeah, percent. i look, I, I, I always say like, I'm in lockdown, you know, I'm, I'm happy to spend my time, but realistically I love these chats and if there's a, uh, you know, if I, if I uh, can make the time to have another one, I'm more than happy.
0: Beautiful. That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.